Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've got my friend Tom McReynolds of Black Mountain Outfitters. Tom, how you doing? Good. How are you doing today? Good. I'm looking forward to talking to you today about Black Mountain Outfitters. Obviously, the main part of your business in in the states is New Mexico. Yes. Uh, it's a large portion, and then you have a big operation down in Mexico as well, and you do some hunts in Arizona. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you specifically today about the March 20th deadline. I believe it's at 5 p.m. Uh, for New Mexico. And so, you know, we're only about two weeks away from that deadline. Before we get into talking about the specifics, the units, and all the different, you know, animals and stuff that you guide for there, compared to our podcast last year, what are our conditions like as we sit right now talking about moisture and what have you compared to last year well it's looking to possibly want to be one of the best years we've ever had we've had record snowfall in our area i mean we've had more snow in the past two to three months than we had in the past two to three years so um it's going to be a really good year i mean we're coming off of a year that was probably the worst in history i mean hands down a lot of bulls didn't get killed just because they were broken up or they just didn't grow um and now we're going to have the perfect storm to probably have just an absolutely epic season because a lot of older age class bulls that got passed on, and then you got a lot of moisture. We even had a lot of moisture last fall, so there was a lot of feed on the ground. So the bulls came out of the rut, and they got a lot of body fat on them during the wintertime, and now they're going to have good feed in the spring. So it'll be a, it'll be a good season. So, I mean... I know it's probably hard to compare to years, but you've been over in New Mexico a long, long time. I mean, the last year that I can compare it to, like in Arizona, is like 05. 05 seems like it was one of the best years we've had in, you know, in as long as I can remember. Um, I mean, do you truly think that it has a chance to be, I mean, probably one of the best years in 30 or 40 years? Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the last really good year we saw was in 2015. And we killed, I mean, more 370-plus bulls than you can you know, believe. I mean, we killed a bull that was 440 inches gross. So that year we had a lot of good moisture. And it was the moisture had perfect timing as far as when it hit. Um, so I think it'll be another year like that. And we think back, and the year before that, which was 2014, was the same type of year we just came out of. So anytime you come out of these really bad years, um, and you come into a, a year with some moisture, I mean, it's a good combination. New Mexico is one of those states that it's a love-hate, I think, for a lot of people because mm-hmm. when it's good, it can be as good as it can be the best state in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's bad, it literally can be the worst state in the country. As an outfitter, you've been doing it, what, 20 years out there? Uh, almost, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Talk about a little bit about that love-hate relationship, which I'm sure you feel every single year, depending on how it is. Um, talk a little bit about that. Well, where we specialize in is, is primarily high desert, and the bulls there are, they have, there's a lot of effect there on horn growth because of the moisture. I mean, it's just, when we're dry, it's tough. I mean, they don't have to feed. It's, it's very similar to northwestern Arizona. Um, like units nine there, or ten. Yeah, the units there. I mean, when they're, they don't have the moisture, those bulls are way, way off. And, um, you know, I, I've hunted other areas, and those bulls, 
you know, they get more moisture, a little more covered in uh, ponderosa pine and stuff. It almost seems like the ground holds more moisture and there's a little bit more feed that comes up. In our area, we're a high desert. We've got a lot of wind going on, a lot of sunshine and not as much cover. So when it's a drought condition, our areas can be really bad. I mean, this year, I mean, people have a hard time believing it, but our bulls were 40 to 60 inches off. I mean, they were so uh, their horn growth was so down that they weren't even growing their splits their back ends just didn't develop at all so tons of five points everywhere yeah a bunch of five point bulls that just didn't grow and most people that don't see see this year in and year out don't understand they you know hunter typical your standard hunter that comes out who's only been there once or twice or has never been there you know they think it's a genetic thing or they think it's a hunting issue but it's not it a lot is affected by feed and by nutrition with that being said, so a lot of bulls got a pass last year because they were down 40 to 60 inches, but I would assume as well the bugling in the rut was probably rough, and so there's potentially a lot of holdover bulls. Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, our rut last year was so just sporadic, and there was no rhyme or reason to what it would do. I mean, it would they'd be bugling like crazy, and then they'd be off. I mean, our early rifle season, which is always a slam dunk. I mean, it was all the bigger bulls had pulled off already. It was they read it hard right at the end of archery season, just for about a week, and then they were gone, and they didn't come back. And then all of a sudden, middle of October, some started showing back up and running again. But when you looked at the condition of the bulls, I mean, they they didn't have any body fat. They were just gaunt, and you could just you can see the the effect that the droughts had on them, and it it affects the rut because. The fact of the matter is, cows have to be in good shape. They have to have good body fat to come into estrus, and your bulls have to be—they have to be physically able to rut. I mean, it's exhausting for them to do what they do. Mm-hmm. For those out there that haven't listened to our podcast before, which I want to say we've done them for two or three years, maybe more, um, talk a little bit about your operation, where you're based out of, and primarily the units that incorporate Black Mountain Outfitters, where you operate. Well, our main hub is in Unit 12 and 13. In Unit 12, we have over half a million acres of ranches in that unit, and we control a vast majority of the private land in the unit. Um, anyone that's ever looked at hunting in the area will see that there's a lot of private land. Um, we have a lot of big ranches. Most of them are all adjoining. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of... It's more open country there. Thick pinyon junipers, big sandstone mesas, a lot of gla- glassing, you know, a lot of gla- glassable country. Um, unit 13 sits on the east side of that. It's a high desert unit as well. It's a little thicker. It's a, it's a primarily, we primarily hunt public land in that unit. Um, it's a primitive weapon only unit. So it's, it's only muzzleloader and archery. Uh, there are some, some great bulls in that unit. Um, we hunt that unit from all the north boundary to the south boundary and from west to east. I mean, we hunt the entire thing. And if anyone is familiar with that unit, it goes. I mean, it's probably one of the biggest elk units in the state. So that area is all pretty pretty much the same. Pinyon, juniper, sandstone mesas, high desert, uh, some a lot of volcanic, you know, Malapai-type country. Um, you know, when it's good, it's the best. And when it's droughty, it can be really tough. Mm-hmm. And the, your lodge is based, you basically have a... Well, your primary camp is, it's out of Pie Town, is that correct? Yeah, we have a, a lodge in Pie Town, 
and we hunt both units from that lodge. And then we also have another lodge on the western side of the unit. It's it's on our on one of our private ranches, and it's called the Rincon Lodge. And it's a I mean it's a five star facility. Um, you know we've we've spent many years developing our Pike Town facility. We have a 800 yard shooting range there. We have walk-in coolers, walk-in freezers. I mean we have the ultimate setup. Um, it's it's built and designed for elk hunters and. You know, there's been people that have that come every year with us for many, many, many years. I mean, some clients have been coming with us for 10 years straight. Um, the Rincon Lodge is actually a place that we purchased recently, and we've developed that in the past six months, and it's become kind of our our higher end, uh, you know, more private location that some clients like to be at. And it actually sits in a really good location in the unit so that they can hunt a little closer to the lodge. So you have... 12 and 13, primarily in 12 is where most of the private land is. 13, you kind of hunt from, from head to toe. Um, but in New Mexico, they have a system where 6% of the tags go to non-residents that are in the non-outfitted pool. 10% of the tags go to non-residents that, that apply with an outfitter. Uh, at Black Mountain Outfitters, you guys handle all your own applications as well or have a service correct that that does that for people talk a little bit about the non-resident tag allocations and then how you guys incorporate your business to fill out applications and help people well we have an application service for for clients and you know random hunters that just can't afford to buy a landowner tag i mean we get landowner tags with all of our properties and we actually have landowner tags that are unit-wide landowner tags that are valid on public land that we get from ranches but a lot of guys don't want to spend all that money because those those are the majority of the cost of a hunt. I mean, the landowner tags are expensive, and you see the demand for those rise every year, and you see the price go up. So for guys that don't want to spend that kind of money, the best thing to do is to get in the draw. Um, it's significantly cheaper if you can draw a tag. You get really good odds going into the outfitter pool. Um, you know, if you look at, some some odds in certain units will be not as good and not as you know it may not be as beneficial to be with an outfitter but other units it's you know it's it's way better so um we have an application service that we provide or that we can provide hunters with that option to go into the outfitted draw now we only apply them in the units that we operate um you know we don't we don't really venture outside of that um there's there's multiple good hunts to choose from in our two units they've opened up unit 12 now so it actually has multiple rifle hunts um so there's a lot of options for guys to apply with with good odds um what people have to understand about the new mexico draw is every year it's random i mean there's no bonus points there's no preference points it's just a random draw um it uh but it's hands down it's the best odds of drawing a tag you know everywhere for quality yeah for for quality for what you're gonna get i mean you know, look at other states and you may wait 20 years to draw a tag i don't know i don't know many people in new mexico that have waited that long to get a tag and i know a lot of guys that have drawn tags you know out of a five-year stretch they'll draw one or two back to back i mean they do really well so um i'm looking here i did a little research on the go hunt insider who's a sponsor of this podcast and I, I looked at unit 12, and you've got the non-resident, non-guided. Obviously, the archery season is split up into two seasons, the 1st to the 14th and the 15th to the 24th. And then when you compare that same um, to the guided pool, for instance, uh, the first hunt in unit 12, the 1st through the 14th, 
the odds are 7.1% non-guided and it's 11% guided. Uh, the 15th through the 24th, the non-guided is 3.6 and the second hunt guided is 9.3. That's a huge difference applying with an outfitter. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at almost twice, three times. Yeah, yeah, twice or three times. Yeah, so. two and a half times. Yeah, that's is there's huge benefits to it i mean you know if uh, if a person just wants to uh, do it yourself hunt then they're going to have to apply on their own because new mexico is very strict on applying with outfitters i mean there's a how does it work you have to have a contract signed with the outfitter before you can apply with them in the draw um and you have to be guided a minimum of two days and we do all of our hunts fully guided so, um, you know, you, you have to play by the rules if you're going to enter into the outfitter draw. There's a, there's a reason they have it set up that way, and they'd be, they've actually became very strict on it lately. And so, um, you know, a lot of people try to skirt the system, but they're just asking for trouble if they do that. So if someone wants to come elk hunting, let's say that there's a listener out there and they say, you know, I, Tom, I want to join, you know, join and, and join your group and have you fill out and do all the applications for public land and i can't really afford a to buy a landowner tag um but then there might also be a listener that says i want to come hunt this year with you i want to buy a landowner tag i'll also apply whatever you tell me to do how do you handle both case scenarios where you have someone that just has the resources that says get me the tag because you could also apply them for the tag. How does that work? Well, we actually, we offer, even the people that want to have a landowner tag and a guaranteed hunt, we lock them in with a landowner tag. And then we also offer them the service of applying them applying them for the draw. And we don't, we actually, if they are booked with us on, on one of our set dates or set landowner tags, we don't charge them anything to handle their applications. We handle them for free. So, you know, there is an advantage there. A lot of guys take advantage of it. Some of the guys that book land on their tag hunts, they don't even want to mess with the draw, but um, a lot of them do. So we actually put them in the draw. Um, the other, you know, clients that can't afford the land on their tag and just want to go into the draw, all they have to do is contact us and we email them a, a packet. They fill it out. It's very simple to do, and then we handle everything from there. Okay. Um this year obviously the season structure dates the first to the 14th and the 15th through the 24th i know i've talked to you before how uh the first hunt at times can be a little finicky here or there but then on years sometimes it can be lights out historically i think you've said the second hunt is a little more consistent as far as bugling but then you kind of have bulls that are locked down with cows and what have you talk about how you see the two seasons playing out this year compared to maybe other years? I think that this year, that early season is going to be where, I mean, it's going to be the ultimate. Because dates. the cows are going to be fleshy and feeling good, and you think the rut will just get going? Yeah, the, the better shape the elk are in physically, the earlier the rut is typically. Um, I have seen it myself where bulls are bugling and starting to rut the last week of August. And it's always on years when there's good feed and, you know, good moisture and, and they're in good shape. So I think this year will definitely be an early rut. Um, 
that can kind of have its downside sometimes because sometimes that'll shut the rut down earlier in October. So some of the, let's say, middle muzzleloader hunts can be a little slower. But, I mean, it, that's not always the case because there's always a second rut cycle. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of depends on when that hits and when that falls. But I think this year, typically, the most popular hunt is kind of in the middle of September. Um, when you come off of a year that was really sporadic and not much rut, everybody wants to come later. But I think it's going to be the complete opposite. I think this year the rut's going to be strong. It's going to be early. Um, and they'll rut, you know, through the through the second season for sure. It'll be probably really good then also. But I definitely think your early dates are going to be a good time to kill a really big bull because what people don't understand, if you can catch those bulls before they get all cowed up, they're way easier to kill. Um, the opportunities are, are really good. I mean, your action may not be as strong, but as far as percentage of killing really, really top-end older bulls, it's a good time to kill them. You also, on the Unit 12 private land stuff, uh, you have the ability to have rifle landowner tags, and I believe you can name your season dates, but I'm, I could be wrong on that. Talk about the firearm seasons in 12. Yeah, we can name our dates. It's any five consecutive days from the beginning of October all the way through the end of December. So um, it's, it starts October 1st? It actually, this year it starts, it, it coincides with the first public land rifle hunt, which I believe is the 4th. Okay. Um, it's the it's basically the first Saturday of the month. They pushed it back. It used to be the 1st. Now it's, it's pushed back a few days, but that won't really affect anything. The bulls will be in full rut then. Um, we can we set our own season dates internally just because we like to structure it and where it coincides with the uh, with the public land season dates because we have a lot of hunters that draw public tags so that's when they're coming so um, so yeah we have hunts all the way through the beginning from the beginning of October all the way through the end of December and we also have cow elk hunts we do a lot of management on our ranches so we have cow elk hunts that start at the end of October and run all the way through December. On a year like this, and I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, in 12 and 13, um, I mean, talk about average quality of bulls on public and on private. You know, obviously there's probably a difference, probably a little better on private. Uh, but whereas last year, you know, probably finding many bulls over 320 was tough, on a year like this, I mean, is it like a 300 to 350 type hunt? Or is it a, you know, lots of bulls in the 330, 340s? Or is it, no, there'll be a lot of bulls over 350. I mean, talk, just talk about your range of average bulls and then some of the, you know, some of the top end, you know, better end stuff you'll see. On an average year, we would call it, like the private land, we'd call it a 320 to 350, 360 type hunt. With always, there's always some bulls bigger than that that get killed. This year... I'll probably bump that a little bit and say it's going to be more of that 330 to 360 type hunt. On years like this, even younger bulls are, are getting, you know, they're getting to be 330, 340, even if they're not quite mature yet because they've just got the feed. Um, you know, th granted, that is if we get what we think we're going to get for feed coming up in the spring and the early summer. Um, so, I mean, this year I'd say it's a 330 to 350, 360 type hunt, but there's definitely going to be, in 2015, I mean, we killed a lot of 370-plus bulls. Multiple bulls are on the 400-inch mark. Um, I mean, the bulls just grew really, really well. So, um, you know, on, on top of it, you got a lot of bulls in the unit that didn't get killed last year because they just didn't have it, and so they got passed on. Um, the thing that 
people don't realize about the public land in Unit 12. In the past, there has been virtually no public tags in the unit. The public land hunting in that unit is very, very good. Um, this year, we're actually going to have some unit-wide tags available that are can be used either on public land or private land for that unit. That's a really good deal. That's that's the ticket right there. Um, the public land, we find some of our best bulls actually on public land in that unit because um, a lot of our private ranches landlock a lot of public land. So in New Mexico, if you landlock public land, it's not accessible to the public. They have to have permission. Um, but you'll find in that unit, the unit-wide tags, are those are some incredible value there for, for quality of animals. So in other words, because of the fact that the access through private land to public land, those unit-wide 12 tags, the reason they'll have so much value um, is because you'll be able to be on private, see a bull out on the public, and have access to go get them. And half the reason that sometimes they're in some of those areas is because not many people can access the bulls. Yeah. And those bulls know where pressure is and where they can kind of yeah, if they're sitting on public land that's landlocked, they're not going to get pressured because the private landowners aren't allowed to hunt them. So this year, now there's actually unit-wide tags that people can actually purchase and utilize. Before, you had to draw those tags, and there was very, very few of them. They've increased the numbers pretty significantly this year, and they've opened up some more hunts in the unit for public land, which we feel is a good thing. I mean, it, there needed to be more opportunity there for public land hunters. And granted, you're saying that there's going to be some opportunity for some bulls that are landlocked on public land, but you're also saying that there'll be some opportunity for just plenty of public hunters that can go get some nice yeah. bulls right out there on the Oh, public. yeah, there's some great bulls in the unit. There's some great public land hunting there. You just have to know how to access it, and you have to know the, the, you know, the places to get to i mean it's going to be it's going to be a good year just across the board it's it's nice to see the change where they put some more public land tags in there for the for the public to draw we did get some questions on instagram talking about uh unit 12 and a few of the tag uh, changes it seemed to me that 12 was really the one that most of the tags are pretty much the same other than in 12 it seemed like they've increased that um, talk a little bit about that increase and what your thoughts are adding those tags on a good year you know is probably okay but if those tags stay high maybe next year if it's not as good a year how you know how's it going to play out well i think it'll be good they've if you look at a lot of the tags that they've added they've come into some later dates so the hunting will be a little more challenging on those later dates they didn't increase the peak rut hunt you know dates as as much um, most of those increases came in later season hunts and there's a lot of transition in that unit during the later season there's a lot of bulls leave and other bulls are showing up so i don't think it's going to affect the quality at all it's going to provide a lot more hunting opportunity um, i think it'll be a good situation for the for the you know the longevity of the unit as far as quality goes because they are cutting down the private land tags with with the increase in public tags came the decrease in private land tags and that, that was, that's a good thing um, because the, the private landowners, they have the flexibility to hunt anytime they want. So by cutting those down, you're going to see an overall increase, I feel, in the quality of the unit. There was a lot of debate over this in the past few months. This was all going on during the season. 
the game and fish wanted to take unit 12 and manage it as a core elk area and they decided and we supported that um you know there was a lot of commission meetings things like that and we voiced our support especially we control the majority of the private land in the unit and so we had to be very involved in that we feel that what they did was was the right thing and we feel that in the next five years you're going to see unit 12 become one by far one of the best units in the country with the right management um you know it's um they're doing a lot of there's a lot of changes that came along with going in the core it's going to be managed just like some of the other units like unit 13 15 17 um, before it was pretty wide open as, as far as the management goes and you had, you had small landowners and small ranches getting you know a lot of tags when they shouldn't have had a lot of tags um, so it'll be uh, interesting to see how it goes but we feel like by year two and three we're going to see a lot of positive changes let's talk a little bit about the antelope and the changes that happened in the antelope um, there with new mexico this year well, they, um, they took the private land tags and made them over-the-counter, where it's a permission-based uh, permission uh, tag, just kind of like the, the deer are in a lot of the units. Um, we're, we're fine with it. I mean, we're not going to change our management. Yeah, it actually makes it a little nicer for us because if we have somebody who wants to archery hunt, we can do an archery hunter or run an archery hunter without utilizing a landowner tag. The landowner tags were so hard to come by in, in some of our areas before, and now it's it's not as restricted. So, you know, I mean, we've got by far the best antelope in the country in our Unit 12 ranches. And, and then actually some of those ranches go into Unit 13. I mean, last year we carried an 85-inch-plus average. I mean, we killed multiple bucks over 85 to 90 inches. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, so, I mean, we're keeping our management the same. So it really doesn't. For us, it doesn't affect it. I mean, there's obviously other landowners can can provide you know access willy nilly, but um, you know those those hunters have to stay on those ranches, and and sometimes there's not as many antelope as you think on smaller properties. So, if someone wants to just buy an antelope tag, though, the way it works now is they can just say, "Tom, I want to antelope hunt with you. Give you a call, and it's done." Whereas before, they were. The, the private land antelope tags were really hard to get and then if they put in through the public weren't they, they had to they were specified they had to hunt a certain yeah. property now and they can hunt anywhere right yeah now they can hunt anywhere so do you think yeah, the I mean, quality if not managed correctly the quality could potentially go down over time it definitely could if it's not managed properly we're lucky in, in our area that we control pretty much all the antelope country that there is i mean there's a few ranches around that may have some antelope here and there but the chances of them having antelope when the season's going on is going to be low. I mean, so we feel very confident and very good about the situation in our Unit 12 hunts. Those are our, our most popular hunts. Um, we've got 300-plus thousand acres in the eastern side of the state, and the antelope numbers over there are just through the roof. I mean, even over there last year, we killed multiple bucks that broke the Boone and Crockett average. I mean, a lot of 82 to 85-inch antelope. Um, that area is pretty much all exclusive also. So, I mean, it, as long as we stay with our numbers that we typically harvest, or roughly, well, I don't see any change in the quality. As someone that loves business myself, looking at it from a third party's perspective, 
from my perspective with the change i could see how you as a businessman could charge a lot more for your antelopes now than before with this new system is is that am i thinking right in that with the ability uh, the availability of tags that you would have now you could in essence charge more because now you can just say yep i got it and put you right here yeah, I mean, we, we kept all our, our pricing the same and kept our numbers the same. We we're kind of we kind of want to see how it's going to play out, um, but we're so confident in our quality and our numbers on all of our ranches that I mean, we had no reason to change anything. We, we're gonna we're gonna kind of see what the pressure is around us. But when you have such large areas that you control, um, you don't worry about it because you don't have ranches inside of you that are going to shoot your mature bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we have a lot of mature bucks, big mature bucks. I mean, and the antelope are just like the elk, uh, and the deer and everything else. Every year is different depending on the growth. Um, but I mean, we have a unique situation, especially in unit 12 with the genetics and the quality of antelope that are out there. I mean, we just kill some incredible antelope. So we're going to kind of see how this goes with, with, um, the rant, you know, the over-the-counter thing, but we feel pretty good in it. Um, you know, and the other thing to mention too is they do have draw tags that people can draw, and then you know, if they if they do draw and they want to get permission, they can get permission and access to hunt private ranches too. So, because there is some good public land in the unit with good antelope on it, um, but if they do happen to draw a tag, they can get permission to hunt on private ranches as well. Would you say that your eastern New Mexico is a little bit more opportunity, although you did say you killed some Boone and Crockett bucks, you, you have a little bit of a different situation there where you've got some super high quality bucks in 12, but a little more opportunity over on the eastern part of the state, but still giant properties that would give a great hunt, but maybe not quite as good a quality. Well, I mean, what we found over there, if guys will just hold off the trigger, they can kill just as good of a buck, but they have to hold off the trigger. Because they're seeing so many, it's so, yeah, it's an opportunity rich. They're seeing 20 to 50 bucks a day at least, and, and there are some big bucks out there. They just have to hold off the trigger, but most guys can't do it. Um, there's, we've only been harvesting or even utilizing half the tags that we were allocated on those ranches on the east side. And because we kind of wanted to see what the quality would do. And, uh, and it's been really strong. I mean, this year it was just incredible out there. I mean, there's just large numbers of antelope out there and, and a lot of mature bucks. I mean, more mature bucks than, than you can look at in a day. I mean, you're just constantly looking at new country and new bucks. And if you really are picky out there, you can kill it. You can kill a monster antelope. Um, you know, on the, on the West side in unit 12, there's going to be, you're not going to see nearly as many antelope, not as many bucks, but the bucks you see, the genetics are, are phenomenal, and the age class is there. So it's, um, you know, we've killed multiple bucks that are around the 90 mark on the west side. Uh, last year, the biggest buck we killed on the east side was high 80s, but a lot of those, you know, 82 to 85-inch nice. antelope. I want to take just a second here and thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. My friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years, he is the optics manager there at the gear shop at GoHunt.com. If you have any binocular, rifle scopes, spotting scopes, uh, tripods, any glassing uh, techniques or anything you want to talk to Cody about, if you want to buy optics, 
If you want to discuss different uh, optics uh, questions with him, you can reach him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also send him an email at optics at gohunt.com. I also want to thank gohunt.com insider. They're also a sponsor of this podcast. And like I just went over here with Tom on talking about unit 12, gohunt provides the odds there where you can see they break it down for non-guided and guided. And I gave the example where, say, the first hunt in unit 12 uh, is is a 7.1% non-guided, but an 11% draw guided. Um, and they break down for deer, they break it down for all the different animals. Uh, I want to thank Go Hunt Insider for their sponsorship. I want to remind you guys that you can go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and you're going to get a $50 gift certificate immediately for just signing up. So go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. I also want to thank Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U.com, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all my hunts. Uh, I believe, Tom, you like wearing Kuyu gear. I've seen you in pictures before uh, with Kuyu gear. And I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I want to thank Canyon Coolers based out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Also, phonescope.com, if you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And then onxmaps.com, uh, onxmaps.com, if you use the JScott19 promo code, you're also going to get a 20% discount. All you got to do is go to onxmaps.com. Uh, you go ahead and buy the app, whether you get the one state Uh, or you get the premium, which is all 50 states, and then they'll actually send you an email. You type in jscott19, and they're going to give you a 20% discount there. So uh, thanks to the sponsors. Uh, Tom, we had some, I put it out yesterday on Instagram, uh, some questions, and a couple questions came in. One is from Brandon.Cassidy, says, best youth hunts to apply for non-resident. Now, He's obviously talking about all of New Mexico. I want to kind of shape this question and say New Mexico does have some incredible youth opportunities. How does that pertain? How do the youth hunts pertain specifically to the units that you hunt in? Well, Unit 13 has a youth muzzleloader hunt that is actually a week before the general adult season. I mean, it's the best possible dates you can hunt. And people, most people don't know that you can actually utilize a landowner tag on that if if you had a unit wide landowner tag for 13 muzzleloader you could validate that for a youth hunter on the youth season um i mean this this year it starts that first saturday of october um i mean the bulls are in peak rut um i mean it's it's a phenomenal opportunity unit 13 has a season and then unit 15 and unit 17 they all have youth seasons available for muzzleloaders um, the kids always get opportunities at just great bulls because the, the bulls in those primitive weapon units are in peak rut, rut during those times. They haven't been hunted at all except during archery season, and they've generally by then had a week and a half off where there's been absolutely no pressure. So those are, are phenomenal opportunities. There's a lot of different youth opportunities in New Mexico. They even have a youth ibex hunt. It's a great hunt. Um, you know, and the odds are usually pretty good. Um, they're not as good as they used to be, but... You know, if um, most people don't realize that if they aren't lucky enough to draw, they can actually use a landowner tag for some of these hunts. Interesting. 
there's a question here that says, thoughts on modifications in antelope regulations, will quality change? Obviously, we talked about that a little bit. What's your thoughts on a statewide basis, though, with, with the change to OTC? I mean, in areas that the ranches are broke up and smaller, it could be a bad bad situation. Um, you think quality will go down? Yeah. I mean, if if an area is controlled by one or two people and they're you know they're willing to manage it properly i think it could actually you know do very well or go up but in some areas if they abuse it it could be a bad situation it really depends on the landowners and who they're dealing with and you know as long as people aren't getting greedy yeah. because if they get greedy they're going to end up shooting too many mature bucks and it's not going to be a good situation but on the contrast if they did get greedy it would only make stuff like yours where you have huge tracts of land it would make it even have more value because yes, it would. they're going to because probably what's going to happen is they're going to shoot out some of those areas and it's going to create more of a value for places like you in 12 where you have pretty much every private piece of property under you know yeah. under control there yeah it's um and we've already seen this i mean our quality of antelope in 12 i mean they're very valuable i mean they're you know it there's a lot of places you can go hunt antelope, but to find antelope that to have a chance of killing a buck that goes 85 to 90 inches, um, there's a lot. They're very rare, and there's a lot of value in that. Here's a question from B. Erickson. It says, "Age class, size of bulls in the archery muzzleloader only units: 13, 15, 17." He says, "I believe." Talk about the difference in those units. Uh, where they don't allow rifle hunting, is there truly a difference in quality of bulls? Yeah, there definitely is a difference. Unit 13, I mean, I don't think you're going to find a public land unit that has more mature bulls. Muzzleloader hunting is just not as efficient as rifle hunting, especially when they're not letting you hunt during the peak of the rut. Um, there's just, inevitably, there's a lot of misses, a lot of wounding that goes on, and the, the muzzleloaders don't seem to be nearly as lethal. So a lot of bulls make it through. Um, you know, they're, even if they get wounded, there seems to be a higher, I feel there's a higher survival rate among muzzleloader wounds than, than rifle wounds. So Unit 13, there's absolutely no issue with age class of bulls. Um, it really comes down to tag numbers. Like if you look at 13, it has pretty low tag numbers. You know, 15, those other units they get, their tag numbers go up. Unit 17 has low tag numbers. Um, all those units have good good age class of bulls and with that comes size there's a question that comes in from m bastine 38 he says do you like how new mexico has no bonus points or do you prefer the point system more like arizona and why i'm a fan of the way new mexico does it i mean it gives everyone straight shot across the board i mean this whole situation in other states of waiting 20 years to get a tag is just ridiculous I mean, you know, I I tell hunters, I'm like, look, most guys will probably draw a tag in three to five years. And I don't know many hunters that have applied, at least in our areas with us, for more than five years that haven't drawn a tag. Um, you know, it, the whole preference of bonus point thing, it has its downfalls. Um, I mean, some states do it differently than other states, and I think there's advantages to that, like cubing points or, you know, squaring points. But I'm a fan of the way New Mexico does it. it. It makes it fair across the board for everybody, and it's completely random. This question doesn't exactly pertain, well, it may, 
I don't I don't think it pertains particularly to what you do, but it's from Southwest Colorado Bowhunter. He says, ask Tom, are there any sleeper New Mexico elk units in his opinion? Um, I mean, every unit is different on each year. I mean, you'll see one a unit one year just be absolutely awesome, and the next year it's bad. Unit 10 is a unit that, can sometimes fall into that category um it's a tough it can be a tough unit if the bulls aren't big one it's an easier tag to get but you can also go out there and have one of the hardest hunts of your life so you know unfortunately in this day of social media and everything else there really is no sleepers um one year it may seem like a unit's a sleeper because it's really good there might be a lot of elk are very migratory depending on feed. I mean, at least in our area, in western New Mexico, those elk move a lot. And so I don't think people realize how much an elk will move to find the right feed. A, a certain unit can get hit really hard with the rains at a certain time, and it, there can be a lot of elk pull into that unit from surrounding units. And so, you know, that, that question's... Um, there's a lot of different answers to that depending on the year, you know. I mean, one year a unit will be great and off the charts, and Everyone thinks it was a sleeper and it was nobody knows about it. And then the next year they can have the tagging and it, and it could be one of the toughest hunts they ever do because things change. I hear unit 23 get thrown around quite a bit as some guys just absolutely hate it and say they would never want it again. And then there's some guys that'd be like, man, I saw a couple really good bulls. I would probably, I know nothing about 23 other than what I hear, but that's a unit that I hear thrown around. Do you hear, hear that yeah, as well? I hear the same thing. Yeah. Um, and, and same goes for unit 10 i mean those are real hit or miss places um you know it's uh some some years you're gonna you're gonna have you're gonna wonder why you even had the tag why why you even wasted your time that goes to another question here of um p-i-s-z cody pizzy cody um most underrated and overrated units for deer and elk in your opinion, in New Mexico? Most overrated and underrated? <laughs> um, I mean, for deer, the west-central part of the state is definitely is definitely uh, underrated. I mean, we have some of the best deer in the southwest there. The season dates are just tough. It's it's a hard hunt. Because it's early October, right? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, li- yeah, late October. I mean, they have various dates in 12 and 13, but, I mean, there are some great deer there, but, I mean, it's a tough hunt. I mean, the quality, I mean, we've seen deer that'll blow your socks off every year. I mean, we see great deer, but it's, it's tough. So, you know, if guys want to be in an area and hunt really big deer and know that they're hunting big deer, um... 12 or 13 has opportunities like that um, but it's always going to be a tough hunt i mean we we offer some private land hunts in unit 12 and we've got some of the best deer in the country there but the dates are very tough um if they gave you better dates if they gave you the same leeway that say they do with the elk and the antelope could you guys consistently kill a couple good bucks oh yeah year? every year we yeah. could kill some really big deer we had an archery hunter last year. He he shot a really big buck. Um, you know, it happens. There's big deer around, but um, the dates are just tough. So, like, we do, we offer some 
some of our hunts we offer them more like a harvest fee basis to try to be fair to the hunters and give them the opportunity to hunt big deer so that's one of the more underrated things um you know i we don't outfit in the northern part of the state but like the units like 2b and 2c do you think um, they're overrated or you I think mean, they get hyped just because New Mexico in general is not really good for mule deer? Yeah, that it gets I, hyped I, up that, oh, the best units, well, it probably wouldn't even be in the top 10 of Arizona units. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. I know, because I know a lot of clients that have had tags up there, and and they're all disappointed, and there's so much disappointment there. You know, people, a lot of these tags, people wait their whole life to get, and they get them, and then, you know, it's just not that good. You know, it's not that great. So, um, you know, it's... Uh, and a lot of times it depends on what year they're hunting. I mean, I can guarantee you there's a lot of people out there that hunted New Mexico last year and even Arizona, and they have the opinion that wherever they hunted is overrated. Yeah. You know, I mean. It, but watch out for this year, man. Yeah, I know. And it's like the, you'll turn around this year coming up, and the same units that were a zero last year are going to be are off the charts. Um, you'll, you'll just see it. It'll, there'll be a huge difference. And, you know, we felt um, – it was tough in our area, very tough. But when we went to our trade shows in January, it was very interesting to talk to other people who outfit in different areas, who I've known for many years, and to talk to clients that hunt in different areas. And everyone said the same thing. And it, it brought a lot of light to the situation. It just wasn't one region. It was everywhere. And, of course, there's always some big animals that get killed. I mean, they're, they're always, there just always is. I mean, inevitably there's, you know, when you have this many areas that have good genetics and good age class there's going to be some big animals killed so it's not a i'm not saying there weren't any big animals last year but just an overall average in in our situation we see that average because you know we have a lot of different hunts we run we have a lot of private land um you know we see the average we know what the average is because we deal with it for multiple months straight and so um you know and that average was just everywhere in the southwest so tom you have uh promotional hunts you have kind of a program that you're doing talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that well we had this idea last year and we've developed it and it's kind of a, a neat thing for people because let's face it some people i mean they can't they can't afford to even do a guided hunt i mean it's a lot of money so we have some promotional hunts that we're actually giving away uh we've got a, an elk hunt they can either choose from a rifle land on our tag or an archery land on our tag we've got a mule deer hunt down in mexico and we've got an antelope hunt in eastern new mexico and then we've got a uh, swarovski btx optics package um, we'll be giving those away the first week of april the deadline for to enter to win one of those coming up this april yeah coming up okay. this april is uh the deadline's march 28th okay but what people um people need to realize that if basically to enter you have to become a member of our hunt, hunting club okay and if they they enter and become a platinum member we actually will take care of all their applications free of charge no setup fees no anything so becoming a platinum member of our black mountain hunt club is a good deal because first of all you'll have a chance of winning one of our hunts or the btx package but you'll also can enter our, the new mexico drawing free of charge with no setup fees and no application fees um you know there's there's we also not to get this confused with our application service that's a separate separate situation that's for people that just want to apply to you know to draw hunts with us in new mexico 
Um, there's there's some perks that come together with both of them. If they contact us, we can explain all that to them. The odds, I would assume the odds to win some of these hunts, I mean, are pretty darn good when you compare the value of the hunts that on these promotional hunts that that they have a chance to win. The odds are probably amazing. Yeah, the odds are really good. But what people have to understand is they're not just applying to win the hunt. There's a lot of other additional benefits that come with becoming a member. Um, you know, we, we send them some gear that they get, some branded gear, but they also get first shot at some of our cancellation hunts, um, some of our, like our, like our hunts that where we just lease a ranch and it's the first time we've hunted it, they get first shot at those. There's a lot of benefits that members of our hunt club get, not just, you know, the chance to win a hunt. If they don't happen to win the hunt, they also, they'll get first on our list for our cancellations, our discounted hunts, things like that that come up. Inevitably, there's guys that can't make their hunt. So when these landowner tags come available, they always go at a lower price, and we, we send a message out, email and text message to our, our members first and give them the first opportunity at those, at those hunts. How do people learn more about it? What, where do you want them to go? Uh, just visit our website, uh, bmlhunts.com. And then at the top of the page, you'll see a, a, a link for promotions. And then click on the promotions, and it'll take them into, into the four different prom, the promotions that we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. It'll also show them the different levels of membership. Let's take a quick second here and talk about two, two different things. I want to talk about your South Dakota operation. Um, mention it a little bit, talk about how last year went, and then let's also talk about your Mexico operation. Um, get a little status report on both of those. South Dakota has always been a consistent producer for us. We've been outfitting there for many, many years. We have some great mule deer. Um, the thing about South Dakota is it's all private land. You know, we, Our average on mule deer there will be in the 180s. We run 100% on rifle hunters. Every year we'll kill some deer that are 190 to 200 plus. Um, South Dakota is a sleeper when it comes to mule deer. There are some phenomenal mule deer there. Um, and what, white are the, what are the season dates? Is it a good season? Yeah, date? right during the peak of the rut, middle of November. We also have great whitetails there also. I mean, it's probably the biggest sleeper for whitetails. I mean, we can consistently go out with hunters and kill 150 to 170 inch whitetails. I mean, I'm talking 100%. I mean, you shouldn't shoot a whitetail unless he's 150, 160. Um, the rifle hunts are draw, okay, they're on a draw basis, that's the one downfall, and it takes, you can draw your first year, but it usually takes second or third year, you'll get the tag for sure. Bonus points or no? Yep, they have, they have preference points, so, and they cube the points now, that's a new system that they started this year, so they cube points, so by the time you get to your second year, you're most likely going to get the tag, the third year you should be almost guaranteed, archery tags there are over the counter now that's probably going to change the following year but this year they're still over the counter good dates or no very good dates and the dates are wide open i mean we can start the end of september beginning of october and hunt all the way through the end of december so typically what we do for archery hunters we let them hunt prior to rifle season so the deer are starting to rut archery hunters get first opportunity at, at the deer before rifle season starts wow I saw, I remember following on Instagram, saw last year, it seemed like some pretty good bucks. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we kill, every year we kill some really nice bucks. The only time you'll see that take a take a, a dip is if they have a winter kill. Um, winter kill will just wipe out all your older age class deer. But um, How are we sitting now? How does it look? It's looking pretty good. Um, it's not, 
we know when we're going to have a bad winter. When it comes in right after, right during the rut or right after the rut and just, just gets nasty, that's a bad deal because the, the bucks don't have a chance to recover. Um, if they have a chance to recover, it's usually a, always going to be a good year the following year. Let's talk about Mexico, Black Mountain Outfitters, Mexico. Well, Mexico's is, or at least our area in Mexico was the same situation we saw in New Mexico. I mean, our area didn't get any rain whatsoever. I mean, if you look at the deer we killed, I mean, the, their bodies were just, their body weight was so down. Um, the horn growth just was not there. I mean, it was a struggle to find big deer. I mean, these deer are 10 to 30 inches off. I mean, it's just, it's, it was just crazy to see it. And hap to happen in two areas was was very rare and hard for you mentally to take yeah, that, I'm it, sure. it was a very it was a mentally exhausting and grueling season because when you go from new mexico where you've got horn growth issues and you go to mexico it's the same thing um that it's it's challenging so but i mean i've been doing this a long time and after trade show season i actually felt better about the whole situation because i was like well i, I got the I got the hint. I wasn't the only guy around that had a, a tough year. So once you realized and talked to other people and they they were telling you, oh, yeah, we got schlacked oh, too, yeah. you're like, okay. Yeah, but you talk to a lot of clients. You know, they some, some, some clients, they hunt here and they hunt there. You know, they bounce around a lot. And it was the same story across the board. It didn't matter. So, um, yeah, Mexico in our area was really tough. But we had an opportunity. We did well on our sheep hunts. We actually just killed a really big ram recently. Um, you know, the, the sheep the sheep are always great. I mean, the sheep hunting is always solid. But we had an opportunity. We we one of our ranch owners owned. We found out he owned some ranches that were actually really close to the border. And we looked at those ranches, and we we actually ended up leasing a couple hundred thousand acres of ranches that have not been touched they haven't been hunted um, we've been down there the past month looking at these properties and um, I mean they're some phenomenal places so we're excited to kind of get that up off the ground um, very conveniently located from Phoenix hang on just a second Tom a fountain the fountain just went off and it's making a little noise hang on okay I'm back from fixing the, f the window there the fountain went off um you're talking about finding some new ground and you're kind of excited about these new ranches and opportunities for mule deer, coos deer, and sheep, all three? Mainly mule, mainly mule deer. Mule deer. Okay. Um, these new ranches have some, they're in great mule deer country, great, great genetics around the area. Um, we were able to lock in seven ranches and then we actually locked in a couple more ranches the other day. It's a very large area. I mean, we're talking over 200,000 acres. Um, these ranches haven't been hunted. The owners have never worked with an outfitter before. Um, we're excited. We have a really nice facility that we have there that we're going to invest a little money into, make it almost a five-star place. And the great thing about it is it's only three and a half hours from Phoenix. So we're going to be changing the dynamics here of hunting Mexico. Um, taking the Hermosillo flights out of the equation makes things a lot easier. Fly right into Tucson. Or fly right into Tucson or Phoenix, mm -hmm. and we can take you right down. Um, we, we, we cross a lot at the border and, um, no problems at all. Um, it's very easy, very simple, very safe. Um, you know, some places in Mexico are very remote as far as, you know, having the ability of cell phones and, you know, communication. This area is not, I mean, we have great cell phone service there, um, highway access. I mean, it's a good deal. We're really excited for these ranches. They haven't been touched. We know for a fact they haven't been hunted. 
we we've done a lot of uh, on the ground um, scouting in the past few weeks and we negotiated good deals to get this all going it's going to be a long-term situation and um, you know any time you hunt Mexico for mule deer it can be tough I mean it's just all there is to it hunting desert mule deer whether you're in Mexico Arizona it's not easy to kill big deer in the desert but um, we're we're pretty confident in this new this new setup in this new area so and we still have our other ranches down south um, and you know it was just really dry there I mean you'll see that change it'll get rain there's a lot high density of numbers of animals down there and some good genetics but in, we need to get some rain again you also do desert sheep hunts talk a little bit about that yeah we do desert sheep hunts they're free range hunts um, you know a lot of people they they kind of get they're blind to what you know goes on in Mexico there's multiple different types of of sheep hunts in Mexico you've got your high fence hunts you've got you've got hunts where rams are released and you've got true free range hunts um, what we do is all free range um, you know, we only take a couple guys a year um, we always do really well most clients that go on these hunts they just want to kill their desert you know they don't, they're not looking to kill a, a giant desert ram like a like a Tiburone type right. ram they're you know, just trying to get their desert they're sheep. trying to get their slam so and that's that's what we specialize in is taking guys like that um, you know we're, we've been a hundred percent success so far on our sheep hunts um, and uh, you know it's um, it, they're fun and the clients love them and we usually do them this time of the year because it's out of the you know the craziness of deer season when everyone's trying to hunt deer and it's nice because you know the desert's green and it's kind of low-key and uh, it's always very enjoyable to be done at this time of the year Tom, I get questions a lot. Um, young guys wanting to be guiding out better. Young guys wanting to be, quote-unquote, in the industry. Um, wanting direction of, should I do it? What should I do? How do I get into it? How do I become an outfitter? How do I become a guide? And, for, for, I mean, I just... I text them and say are you sure you want to do this like you like hunting but why not go be a doctor or an engineer or a businessman and then get to hunt all you want and they're like oh no I, I want to be like Tom McReynolds or I want to be like Jay Scott and it's just like I, I try and just text them and say are you sure you I mean what you see is not always what you get with that being said, with that with that disclosure, where, which I'm sure you would have just started out, you started out as a young guy. Both you and I are relatively the same age, and we've been doing this a long time. What advice would you give to a younger person that they're just dead set on wanting to get into the business? What would you tell them? Well, I'll invite them to come and work for us for a season, and they can get a taste of what really goes on. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, if you enjoy hunting put it to you this way um you know i mean you getting into the business can be can be a challenge to to your hobby um like me personally it's a it's a challenge for me to hunt personally anymore i mean there's just a lot of reasons for that but you mean because you're in the industry and you love to hunt but you have to be on your game with your business during the exact time when you would mm -hmm. actually like to be hunting. Is exactly, that what I mean? yeah. I mean, like I have to prioritize what's going on with clients and 
camp and everything else. I have to prioritize that over if I have a great tag, it doesn't matter. And I find myself a lot of times I'll get a really good tag, I'll draw a tag. I mean, I'm just like everybody else. I'm applying for hunts and, you know, my wife and my family and things like that. And um, when you're in the business, you have to prioritize your clients and your work over personal hunts, over family hunts. And that's, that's a tough situation. You know, I, uh, I get to take my dad and my dad loves to hunt and it's hard because I've got a, I've got a, I've got a business to run and my dad wants me to go hunting with him. So it's really tough. So people have to think about that before they get into this industry and, you know, limited, it's fine. But if you're going to take it on full time, you have to think about, you have to think about that. You have to think about, okay, how's this going to affect me hunting with my dad, my kids, my wife? You know, it changes the dynamics of everything, especially if you're successful, mm-hmm. okay? Um, you know, if you're if you're not successful, maybe you're prioritizing, you know, right. your personal stuff over clients, okay? Right. So, um, so in order to be successful in business and make it a successful business, what you're saying is you have to sacrifice a lot of that personal hunts or family hunts because it's about business. It, you have to pick either it's full-fledged business or personal yeah it's I hard mean, to it's, do it's hard to walk the line yeah it's it's very hard to it's very hard to uh to find that in you know, the happy medium if you want to call it i mean um it's uh i i had a great i've had some great tags that i've just completely burned i mean most people think i'm nuts um i'm just like i had no choice I mean, I had to take care of business first, and my business is hunting, let's face it, hunting and taking care of clients and guides and everything that comes along with this business. And it's funny when people come and work for us the first year, they have a whole different perspective after a season, mm-hmm. and they're just like, wow, like I had no clue. And I get this question thrown at me a lot, um, this, especially this time of the year, people run into me or see me or ask me what I do, and... I mean, it's just random places, and I'm, I tell them what I do, and they're like, oh, well, you know, now you got some downtime, now you're, now you're in the off-season, and I just laugh, and I'm like, no. Mm. Now I'm, I'm tied to an office, I'm tied to my phone for the next couple of months. I'm like, I actually have a life from April through June, mm-hmm. and that's about it. I mean, that's when things slow down. I actually get a little bit of time, but by the time you get to that period, you've been going hard since last August, August through now. I mean, we're still not through our New Mexico deadline, which is March 20th. I mean, it's going to be craziness until March 20th. And then once that passes, then it'll start to slow down. And um, you get a small window, but inevitably, I mean, it never stops. There's yeah. always, with a, with any business, you always have, um, you know, things that have to be done. And, uh, you know, people just, they, they have this big, uh, you know, Image, of, yeah, yeah, this big image of what it is, and uh, if you're going to be truly successful at it, it's just like any other business. I mean, there's a lot to it. I mean, I look at um, our social media. We've only had social media for a couple of years, and if I wanted to to actually make our social media what it should be, it would be a full time job for me. I mean, and I've you know considered should I hire someone full-time to run our social media because we have the content we we have the audience potential audience there but you know like it's hard because i run our social media personally and um 
I want because I, I want it to come from me. Mm-hmm. This is this is like genuine, genuine. Sure. And I'm like, man, like I could literally sit here all day mm-hmm. and post content on social media. From I mean, I've been doing this almost my entire adult life, and what I have in my photo banks and everything else, I'm just like, man. But it would be a full time job. I mean, you know, it's just like any other business. The more work you put into it the more success you're going to have. But the problem is when it's something you love to do, you are going to make sacrifices. Sure. I think Arizona, especially the emails and messages that come from guides in Arizona, I think one of the challenges, curious your thoughts on this, Arizona is a draw state. You're subject to the draw at all times. There's no private land, no landowner situation in my opinion, to guide and make a full living on public land in Arizona is very, very challenging. I notice you have South Dakota, you have New Mexico, you have Mexico. Would you agree with me in the fact that no matter what state you're in, if you have the opportunity to have some hunts that if someone calls up, you could book or if someone calls up and you could pretty much know they're going to get a tag, that's where you could make a little bit of a margin. Whereas if you're totally relying on who draws in unit nine and there's only, you know, 10 non-resident tags or whatever there may be in each of these units and, you know, half of them already have another guide picked out. Now you're competing. I just feel like guiding in Arizona is a very challenging way to actually make a living to raise a family. I don't know how someone does it. No, there's no consistency there. I mean, you can't do that. Right. I, I I don't know how people do it. I mean, we have a lot of clients because of our New Mexico operation. I mean, basically for us, our hub is New Mexico. And we have people inevitably that want to, because they love hunting with us, they have a great experience, so of course they want to hunt other places with us. So we take them to Mexico, we take them to South Dakota, and we get them inevitably, guys want to try to draw Arizona. And I'm just like, that's fine if you want to try to draw, but don't, you know, don't bank on it it's you know so we here and there we'll have an arizona hunter but i i can't imagine trying to rely on that um as to make a living i mean that's just crazy i mean the only thing in arizona you can rely on is over-the-counter deer tags and the other thing that i tell people when they message me curious your thoughts on is i always tell people well if you're serious about wanting to learn the business then you need to offer to go work for someone for free for a season and not expect anything. Zero. Go work and learn and provide value for that person. Don't expect them to pay you. Just say, I'm here for the whole season. I'll do anything you want me to. And if you can take that attitude and you have the resources to do it, which is the challenge for most people, is they can't just take off three months and go work for someone and say, I'll do anything you want and work my brains out. There's always that catch of, well, I want to get paid and I want to do this. And it's like, hey, man, like, you know, Tom busted his butt for 20 some years to get where he is and have his different operations. You know, you think he's just going to let you come, you know, work for him and make top dollar and, and, you know, run his show, that ain't going to happen. No, no. I mean, we have guys working for us that have been with us for years and years and years, and they, they've they earned their way up to full-time salary positions, you know. And these guys are, that's why they're the best in the business. I mean, I don't know many outfitters that have full-time 
staff. We have multiple full-time staff, but that's because we've grown this business and we've grown our clientele and we take care of our clientele and we have clients that come every year and we've expanded our operations. I mean, um, you know, I've had a lot of guys, young guys come to me, just like you're saying, they want to get in the business or some of them are guides and want to, you know, they want to work their way towards a full-time, a full-time situation. And, uh, it's funny, we'll be, at, we'll be at trade shows or we get emails all the time with resumes. Um, and we've honestly, we've got some of our best guides that way. And they come in and they learn and, man, they just work their butts off and they end up becoming one of our best guides. Yeah, and I think, you know, with the right attitude and realizing that, hey, if you're going to go work for Tom, he gets 50 or 100 of these a year. People wanting to come work and it's like, hey, he'll hire you. But he can hire 15 guys right behind you if you slack off or expect this to be an easy gig. Well, the, the problem is a lot of these guys, they think it's about their hunting ability. And That's a great point. And I don't care how good of a hunter you are. It doesn't mean you're a good guide. That's right. A good guide, you gotta you got to be able to cater to your client. Relate to people. Exactly. You, we need people. people. We call a people person. Right. You have to be a people person. Um I just run into that all the time. The, 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 the ego, the what I see is I'm a great hunter, so I'm going to be a great guide. And they're 500 yards, their client's 500 yards behind them. When the client finally catches up, they say, where you been? What's, you know, and they make, you got to be the opposite. You got to be the guy that's right with your client, talking, communicating. When a client has a weakness, you don't go back to camp and, oh, Tom, he can't walk, he can't shoot. No. You say, how was your hunt? And he says, we had a good day, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Like, you, you hide your client's weaknesses. Yeah. If, if, if they tell you, hey, I'm, I'm not a really good shot, then it's up to you to get them in a good shooting position where they're calm and where they can make the shot. If if they miss a shot, it's you know, I look at it. It's not the hunter's fault. It's the guide's fault. Yes, exactly. You need to put them in a place to succeed. I agree with you 100. percent We learned a long time ago. Ego is the ultimate downfall and is the ultimate cancer to have in, in a, a business or yeah. an outfit. And a long time ago, you know, we started um, going away from that. You know, getting away from egos and making sure that if we had egos, we snuffed those out. I mean, you can't have it. It's all got to be all about the clients. And I, I've seen a lot of guides. I mean, many, many guides, and I've watched it. And I, we actually interview our clients after they leave. So I hear everything. I know, you know, what went on. I mean, we have a whole system to this of, of checks and balances in place. And it's funny because some of these guides are just, I mean, no matter what went on, the guy just knew how to take care of his client. And you'll hear it consistently from their clients through an entire season. A guide may guide 20 clients in a season, but you hear the same thing, and they're good things. And then you start to see the difference between an okay guide and a, and a, and a great guide. And it's not the hunting part. Mm-hmm. People think it's all about the hunting, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's about your people skills. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I look for in guides now. I'm like, what kind of people skills does this guy, guy have? We can, you know, if there's anything on the hunting end we need to teach him or about the properties, we can teach him. But what kind of people skills? How do people like how him? How patient are yeah, they? How yeah, how patient, you know, how sociable are they? I mean, um, or social. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's all about people skills. Mm-hmm. And the best guides and outfitters you see in this in the industry They've got people skills. 
people's skills are a must and I think that's that goes you know that that falls true with anything in life I mean people's skills get you places absolutely um so yeah I mean those are those would be the most, that would be the most important thing I would say for guys wanting to get in the business. Just because you're a good hunter doesn't mean you're going to be a good guide. I think that's great advice. Tom, it's always great having you on the podcast. I uh, want to give you a chance to make sure people know how they can reach out to you. I know we've got two weeks for the New Mexico deadline. Um, I'll let you conclude here and, and let people know where they can, all the, all this stuff on your, your whole program, whether it be New Mexico, South Dakota, Mexico, uh, Arizona, whatever it might be. Well, you can go to our website. It's bmohunts.com. Or you can visit us on Instagram, which is it's at Black Mountain Outfitters underscore Inc. Or you can just call us. Our number, our direct office line is 602-478-0601. And those are the best three ways to reach us. You can send us a message through Instagram. Um, you can email us through the website or you can just call us directly. Can't wait to see the giants you put down in New Mexico. I think it's going to be a banner year. Yeah, we're excited. It's going to be a good year. And we need a good year like that after coming off of a bad year. It's going to, it's always like nice because we know we're going to kill really big bulls next year. It's going to be great hunts. And it's just kind of a, it's the light at the end of the tunnel. That's awesome. Bud, thanks so much. All right, no problem. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. All right. You too.